0: But wait a minute. Go ahead. Y'all thought I was finished. <laughs> <I> oh <don't laughs> no, know. but like seriously
1: though, like every one of us have this song burned into our brains. The Glory Days Podcast, Dreams and Nightmares with Joshua Perry and Evan Spencer,
2: hosted by Chris Caldwell. Welcome, Buckeye fans. It's Chris Caldwell, and you are listening to another episode of the Glory Days Podcast. Dreams and Nightmares with your hosts and former standouts from the 2014 National Champions receiver Evan Spencer and linebacker Joshua Perry. Guys, how are we doing today?
1: Good, good. Good start to the morning. Yeah, Happy to be here. Let's say, Mighty fine day. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's from a timestamp perspective, we haven't done one of these in a while and we were just talking off air about how nice it is to kind of get back and we're getting into the groove here, but I'm having a ton of fun diving in depth behind the scenes with this remarkable team. And I got to tell you, I'm super excited to get into game action as our last two episodes really set us up for the 2014 season. And for our listeners, if this is your first time listening to us, I would strongly suggest you check out our archives as those two episodes are something you definitely don't want to miss. As we talk about Evan and Joshua's recruitment to Ohio State, meeting Coach Meyer for the first time. The way 2013 ended and the physical and mental training that would sustain this team throughout their most unusual and remarkable run to the first ever college football playoffs. A quick reminder before we start the show, here's how you can find us on social media at Twitter at glory days pod. That's all one word at glory days pod on Instagram at glory underscore days underscore pod and on Facebook at glory days podcast. And as we ended our last episode, and we hate to do this, but we ended on sort of a down note as we were describing the loss of Braxton Miller. And as a reminder to the fans, Braxton is lost for the season on August 18th, a mere five days before fall camp is set to end and 12 days before the season is going to start. And to be clear, we're going to get to dealing with the loss of the reigning Big Ten Player of the Year in a minute. But first, as fall camp is coming to an end, I'd love to give our listeners a look into Uh your season-long practice and academic schedule, as I don't know if everyone understands the time demands or the juggling act that you two have to do on a daily basis. So to set that up real quick, let's first start with the NCAA regulations regarding permissible practice time. According to OSU's head of football compliance (laughs) in 2014... (laughs) And our good friend of the show, Brad Burkano. Just start this one
1: off with a laugh.
2: The NCAA mandated regarding student-athlete participation in athletic activities that you be limited to no more than 20 hours a week and four days of required athletic activity. And if you can hear the laughing there, notice how I emphasize required with air quotes. Because in 2020, it's interesting, Coach Meyer goes on Fox big game Saturday. And he says, if you only work 20 hours a week, you're probably a really bad college football player. It takes much more than that. End quote. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, he, he
1: he definitely didn't pull any punches, but you know, I, I I guess to one first support him, you know, if you, if you're looking at trying to actually treat your craft as a profession, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, be a pro go out there and catch as many balls as you can go out there and visualize as many routes as you can that is going to entail more than just the 20 hours that's allotted because there will be some kind of voluntary or involuntary workout or something thereof so he's hinting towards that but it's it's very much a um you know not saying that that they're pressuring us with playing time or anything, but you know you can <laughs> they're, see they're
0: pressuring us with playing you time. Can see, you can see you can see who's it.
1: prepared and who's been over preparing once it comes yeah. time to uh, put the pads yeah. on in spring or in the fall and um, you know <laughs> there's sometimes say some consequences. Say the quiet part out loud, it. damn it! He, <laughs> yeah, right. he
0: told us that exact same thing. Is I I can remember it as clear as day, and he wasn't lying when he said it. But he told us that there's not a great football player out there that only works for 20 hours a week and it's not a lie but it it it's set an expectation yeah. that if you were going to be a great buckeye it would not just going to be a 20 hour well, right but i mean like you look at like how our our facility developed too right like you know that's this
1: is how we started surrounding ourselves with you know some of the best equipment and and, and, and quite honestly um you know developing some of the best abilities you know in the world because yeah. i mean like there's a receiver um, section in our indoor that the D line had some other stuff that they could do, but like, you know, to get more of your 20 hours, just walk out into the indoor and, you know, get some work in, find a buddy to go work with. And yeah. that was the spirit that he was trying to uh, in, incite there. But, uh, you know, you, you definitely needed to come prepared. And if you weren't, it was obvious.
0: Not to get too far down this rabbit hole right now, because we'll, we'll talk about uh, a routine that Curtis and I had developed into the season, but to Evan's point, like the wide receivers, they had the jugs machine yeah. which shoots the footballs at you available with barrels full of footballs. They had a machine that shoots out tennis balls for you, yeah. like all kind of different equipment, D-line, the bags were always set up. And it was to the point where the linebackers, we had actually taken over the racquetball court that was in the Woody, <laughs> and we put a projector in there and we used the screen to make like this makeshift field and we put bags down that were supposed to be the D lineman in front of us. And we would go in there and instead of sitting in the meeting room, watching tape, sometimes we would go in there and that's where we would do some of our, our video work. We'd put the tape on and pretend we were playing the game. Yeah. It was like a simulator almost. That, that um, room that's got outside a lot of the 20 of hours. That room got so it much. It did. Use. I mean, I remember
1: Braxton was in there once, like going through some kind of like virtual tech platform thing where he was actually running through our plays or, getting the chance to see a defense, you know, at, you know, the, the flip of a switch. So, um, you know, we, we do a good job at surrounding ourselves with stuff, but, um, you know, it's, it's definitely pushed for us to go out there and get better.
2: Well, let's take a minute, as promised, and talk about moving forward without Braxton Miller at quarterback. And I want to make sure I'm clear when I say moving forward without him at quarterback only, because after the injury... I mean, I saw him on the sidelines. He was still around his teammates rehabbing and in team meetings and helping JT and Cardell, correct?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Totally.
2: And just one pause in the proceedings to remind. Scooting
1: around in his damn little scooter that he had. <laughs> <laughs> You Put a knee on and then you turn around the corner. Braxton's doing like 20 on his scooter. <laughs> Moving fast like, as dude, he always does. You need to does. protect yourself, yeah.
2: bro. But uh, I just want to remind everyone the magnitude of this loss can't be understated. I mean, we're talking about not just the defending Big Ten MVP, but the two time. Big Ten Most Valuable Player. And I remind people of this because I think it sometimes gets lost in all the success of the past decade what a truly dominant player Braxton Miller was. And I mean, just Google Braxton Miller Penn State and you'll see what we mean. <laughs> but now that we've got that out of the way, it appears that Las Vegas doesn't have high expectations for the Buckeyes when Braxton goes down as the online casino Bavada switches the national championship odds for Ohio State from 7-1 to one prior to his injury to an astounding 50-1 to one post-injury. <laughs> and they're not the only ones. This privately, I say this privately, even your head coach has his concerns. Uh, I was listening to a, a speech he did on YouTube the other day where he was talking to the Ohio's class of 2020, the graduating class of 2020. And he's speaking of Braxton's injury and he says, quote, I remember calling my wife, Shelly, and telling her about Braxton's injury and where we were headed for a very difficult season. I told her there was a chance we were looking at a 7-5 and season, which in Columbus, Ohio, means a new coach will soon be in place. She was very positive, as she always is, and as a staff and as a team, we went back to work, end quote. Again, those are his private thoughts, but what are the coaches saying to you guys? Because I think off air, you told me that Coach Mick posed an interesting question to some of the seniors
1: yeah no i mean he definitely did he ultimately n- not only did coach mick he didn't need to set the meeting we we already had those conversations by ourselves but coach mick really got the guys together and it's like listen like look at your career so far here at ohio state right like your your freshman years didn't go how you wanted it to go you got a bull band we played like crap at the end of the last season You know, this is your last chance to make the impact that you want to that you want to have. Obviously, we all want Braxton to be with us. Obviously, the guys who were in the same dorm as him want to you know carry him through all the way to a championship this year. But we're not going to have him now. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, we all were recruited to Ohio State for a reason, too. So step up and let's go make some plays, essentially. Right. So, you know, that narrative carried from Coach Mick on into like private and personal texts and conversations with, Seniors and young guys, right? Because, you know, the whole big brother, little brother thing, we were definitely a connected team. So, you know, that's where we were mentally as a team. And I guess how uh, Mick and some of the coaches were really trying to, you know, reshape our minds. Hey, you know, it, it's a terrible situation, but, you know, make the most of it. E plus R equals O. What, you know, what, what, what outcome are we getting to? So we have to respond. So one of those deals.
2: Well, Vegas, ex, Vegas odds and expectations are not, you still got to play the games. And as we're going to see, anyone who took those 50-to-1 odds turned out to be a lot smarter than everybody else. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) But let's take a second and talk about game planning with a new quarterback preparing to make his first collegiate start. And speaking of JT Barrett, when asked about moving forward in his new role, JT tells 11 Warriors, quote, it definitely hurt us emotionally as far as when Braxton went down. But what are we going to do? Just sit here and start losing? I just tried to grab the reins and keep on going. We're not going to just look at each other and just lose, I guess. You know, as a fan, you hear during the season about great stories of JT's leadership. You hear of him not wanting to come out of the Penn State game and you hear about a speech that he possibly made in front of Alabama. But I want to ask you guys, when do you guys first notice the emergence of JT Barrett, the leader? You know, when do you look around and say, Jesus, man, this guy is for real.
0: Yeah.
1: I, when I, when I first really, stepped on campus. Yeah, yeah no, I'm about no, to say, <laughs> I, my, my moment is, is way before Braxton getting hurt. And, you know, I'm sure Josh's is as well. Um, but, you know, think, think about the scenario, right? Like Braxton was rehabbing that entire offseason. So as receivers, right, you know, in order to be productive on whatever down it is, but in the passing game, you have to have some kind of chemistry, right? Like balls can't be on the ground. You, you know, you have to be able to feel timing, et cetera. Um, so JT and, and, um, um, Cardell were the two quarterbacks that the ones and the twos were interchanging with all offseason. So it was odd that he had some momentum with us and then it was just, holy shit, right? Like our guy's gone now JT is, you know, it's, it's no longer like, you know, can we, how do we, it's, we have to, and JT's the guy to do it. So, you know, um, leadership was, was there from day one. It was just more about what our identity was going to be, mm-hmm. um, going from there.
0: Yeah. And I'll say there was a, a level of confidence that it from the outside looking in, not not working with JT every single day, mm-hmm. like the offensive players were that quote that you just read, I think really sums up JT because it was like, it's so matter of fact, what are we going to do? Just start losing? Yeah, right. No, yeah. we're, we're just going to look at each other and yeah, lose. Right. Like, that's who he was. He was just so calm. Like, I'm not worried about all this. We're not just going to start losing. We're going to go back to yeah. work. And we could feel that demeanor permeate through his, the way that he attacked his work every day. Mm-hmm. And so for us, we knew it was definitely going to be an uphill battle, right? We knew the challenges were going to be there. But just in terms of the the personality that we had leading us, we felt very confident that he was going to be a good leader. It's just was the production level going to be what we needed it yeah. to be? And
1: he had great role models too. I mean, like Braxton set a perfect stage for yeah. from like adversity to learning how to you know be a better quarterback, quite frankly. And you know, to, to circle back, Braxton, you weren't wheeling around on a, on a scooter. That was JT. You had a little arm sleeve, yeah. but that's just a little. Uh, uh, make sure I don't mess myself up there. But no, I mean, he he, he had good role models, and um, the fact that he was unflappable, it just kind of all built on itself.
2: Well, let me just ask both of you guys from an offensive and a defense perspective, how was your game planning switched when you went from Braxton to JT? And I'll start with the defense first because, Joshua, when JT went down later on in the season against Michigan, uh, Luke Fickle made a nice quote on BTN's um, The Journey where he said, look, the biggest growth that we had as a team, or as a defense, I'm sorry, was when JT went down. And I think that was a true sense of feeling that, oh my goodness, they really need us. Was it that same type of feeling when Braxton went down? What was being said between the players and the coaches about your guys' role in the loss of Braxton Miller? Yeah, it was, you know, that we had
0: to be on top of our game. And the context is we're installing a brand new defense, but we have to focus on a service academy offense so we can't play our base defense. but whatever the situation is, we have to be on top of ours. It doesn't mean that our offense is necessarily going to be bad, but it means that it might be on the defense a little bit more, and specifically coming off of the 2013 season where we weren't stopping a damn thing. (laughs) um, It was really important for us to get there, but it it wasn't necessarily like this imminent feeling that we weren't going to be able to perform offensively. It was just more of a sense of pride that, We are not going to just allow ourselves to be an offensive-minded team. We need to be uh, a a team that can rely on defense. Evan,
2: how about the offense? How is your game planning changing? Because there are two different players, obviously, Braxton and JT. How is it changing as you guys prepare for Navy and get ready for the season?
1: Well, I mean, we still kept a lot of the the quarterback draws, right? But I, I would say the timing of when we were running the quarterback started to change, um, but, I mean, don't get me wrong. We, we had none of this figured out going into Navy or, quite frankly, Virginia Tech. So, you know, we, we really still did have to find ourselves as an offense. Who was going to be the dominant X? How are we going to get push the ball to the Z in the field? Who was going to, you know, get some perimeter blocks? How are Jeff and Evan and, you know, the, the boys are going to figure out a way to get this run game going on the outside? So there were a lot of those types of questions that we had to figure out. But, again, let me you know, I'll go back to the offseason. We had so much practice with JT and Cardell specifically as an offense, you know, running our base stuff. So in Navy, we were only going to run our base plays in that game. So that's really what we resorted to. And, you know, it it wasn't pretty and we'll get to all of that. But effectively, our chess pieces were better. And that's the mentality that we started to take is, hey, what's our personality? Um, You know, we'll we'll use some of the same quarterback runs that Braxton took to, you know, the, the, the highest level that you could ever imagine Uh, because that's still an asset of JT's, but we'll have to mix it in differently. And that's what we were trying to do as an offense.
2: Well, Braxton's not the only person you're missing heading into the Navy game. Um, We're also going to be talking about real quickly here, defensive end Noah Spence. And to remind our fans who may have been a little spoiled by two Bosa brothers, Sam Hubbard and Chase Young, Noah Spence was one of Urban Meyer's most heralded recruits when he took the job in 2011. Noah was a five-star recruit who, according to Bleacher Report, was also the nation's top-rated defensive end coming out of high school. He played sparingly in 2012, but boy, does he have a big breakout season in 2013, where he's a first-team All-Big Ten selection with 52 tackles, 14.5 tackles for a loss, and 8.5 sacks. According to your coach, he's, quote, an exceptional player. Two questions. First, Talk about Noah Spence, the player. <laughs> Noah Spence, the player. Um,
0: how can I say this? He was unstoppable just in terms of you couldn't get him to slow down. The it, the best motor I've ever seen oh gosh, on a football yeah. player, and it wasn't just game reps, it was practice reps, um, to the point where... Like coach would be like, "Hey, slow down because you're gonna hurt our players." Type of <laughs> go hard. Yeah. Um. And he's he was built physically like a a freaking action figure. Yep. Just I mean, just everything you would want. The speed off the edge it was the twitch. It was the explosion. It was the power. It was just a pure strength and it was the motor. Um. And I had I had physically watched him abuse some of our teammates. I watched him abuse people in game time. And it seemed like the dude never got tired. Like I, you know, we talked about the off-season workouts, and if you're not like hunched over, ready to pass out by the end of the workout, um, it, it would be a surprise. And Noah was one of the only people I'd watch get done with one of those workouts <laughs> yeah. and be like ready to go again. I'm like, all right, this dude's built different. But that's what he was, yeah. and that's why he was highly recruited, and that's why he was highly successful for us yeah. too.
2: Well, unfortunately, things come off the rails a little bit. Though
0: Spence's future still cloudy after a second failed drug test, but it's clear the former top recruit and accomplished defensive end will not be discarded.
2: His parents at the time claimed he was unknowingly slipped ecstasy at a local party. And his dad says he was originally suspended for a year. Then after an appeal, it was reduced to three games. And under those parameters, in addition to the Orange Bowl, he's going to miss the Navy and Virginia Tech games. So you're not only missing him as a player but you're missing him as a teammate. Can you guys talk about him as a teammate? Did who did he hang out with or what, you know, was he was he a good teammate? What was his story?
1: Yeah, I mean, he he was a good teammate. He was definitely, you know, around all of us, right? Like yeah. laughing, joking you know, the whole 9 yards, right? Like I would just say with with Noah where where he started to get in trouble is like when he wasn't with us. Right. Cause like when, yep. when we were together, everything was fine and good. Right. Mm-hmm. And we obviously, we all kept each other in check. Uh, we wanted to do the right things for each other. And, you know, I think that, you know, not only has Noah grown so much, but you know, he's had to grow for a reason. Right. Yeah. Cause like once we weren't around and that support system wasn't around him, you know, he wasn't making the best decisions. So, you know, it was tough, but you know, I, I, as a team, we all knew from a preparation standpoint, you know, as things started to get worse news as it relates to Noah, like, you know, hey, Steve or some of those guys might have to be the next man up. So, you know, we were already starting to prep that, um, you know, and really get that rolling. But I mean, again, great guy when he was around us, just struggled once he wasn't.
2: But, you know, as we talk about one door closing, another door opening, Joshua, you've said that Noah Spence's suspension actually opened the door for our future Sugar Bowl hero, correct?
0: Yeah. No, that's exactly what happened. Um, You know, we this story is filled with next man up type of situations. And, you know, it's centered around the quarterbacks, really. But um, it happened on the D-line, too, when Noah wasn't available for us. And we got to rewind to um, that Orange Bowl where Noah Spence was out. Jamal Marcus played for him. Jamal had a pretty damn good game, yeah. but Jamal Marcus had all kinds of issues. He, I mean, he was social issue, yeah. academic <laughs> issue, go hard on the football field during practice issue. And so he was out of here. Coach Meyer always said, you know, you fuck around and your ass will be out to Akron. And that's exactly what happened to him. <laughs> yeah. um, and he played well there, but, you know, I think the moment was too big yeah. here. So then it was Noah's gone, Jamal Marcus is gone. And then here's a guy who's been on the roster now for four years an Ohio guy who was a big 33 player just I mean high school all-star and it never truly clicked it was Steve Miller and uh we felt like Steve could get the job done it was just about is it all going to happen the way we need it to but um that boy was grinding the whole offseason I think he understood the moment that was upon him and then it became his time to step up kind of Thought he was going to be more of a rotational guy, but he really had to take it on his own. And
2: boy, does he. I'll tell you, that uh, Alabama game, that is a key play that he makes that interception on. Before we carry on, a quick word to potential advertisers. We're looking to get your spot in our show. Glory Days podcast can help you reach fans that want what you're selling. And not just Ohio State fans, but college football fans around the
0: country.
1: That's right. And there's a variety of ways that you guys can advertise with us. Just ask and we'll help you find what you need.
2: And look, if you don't know what you want to do, we can even help you create your own commercial. If you'd like to become a Glory Days partner, drop us a line at info at glorydays.media. That's info at glorydays.media. Well, onto the game, and for our listeners, as you'll see, the way we approach in-game action is not to recap every series in depth, but to take key elements of the game and, where necessary, expound upon them. And for this game, we're also going to cover a few logistical things that, as you'll see, won't be covered the rest of the season. Things like what's happening in pregame, the timing of when coaches speak to the team, and halftime protocols. We cover this now because for all of college football's innovation, there are certain parts of the game that are very regimented. If any of these things change during the season, we'll be sure to make a note and we'll definitely let you know. But here we are. And it's the start of the 2014 season against the Naval Academy. Some quick particulars. We've got the fifth ranked Ohio State being a 16 and a half point favorite over unranked Navy. But Navy was nine and four the year before. They won the Armed Forces Bowl and actually won their season opener the previous year against a Big Ten team, the Indiana Hoosiers, 40 to 35. <laughs> Kickoff is at noon, it's in Baltimore, which means Navy's gonna be the home team. You've got roughly 58,000 people in attendance. And for the Raven fans- Stadium. Yeah, and a beautiful stadium. And for the fans at home that can remember this, the game was actually televised on the CBS Sports Network, which might've caused some true blue Buckeye fans some headaches because some cable operators in Ohio didn't carry the channel at the time. So we were talking off air about Spectrum. I'm sure they got their fair share of calls. <laughs> Um but the first thing I want to cover No is, There we go. No comment from our producer. The first thing I want to cover <laughs> is a pregame ritual for the team. Our listeners may notice that our series is entitled The Glory Days Podcast Dreams and Nightmares. And that didn't happen by accident. We did that for a very specific reason. Can you guys fill the listening audience in on why we call this dreams and nightmares? Yeah, Man, hold up, wait a minute. <laughs> go ahead, y'all thought I was finished. <laughs> no, but like, seriously,
1: though, like, every one of us have this song burned into our brains, and you know, it, it's because we 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 listen to it so many times going into before games. But like, I feel like if you were to play it, put yourself in the shoes of like having you know a whole bunch of shoulder pads, pads, you, you know, you're about to go play this combative sport where your job is. To go through another man you know like they have a job to do but your job is to defeat them right and you just like listen to it you know you figure out like how hyped we used to get because it's like the slow build and yeah. right in the middle we're all like jumping around going crazy but no i mean like i don't know i mean obviously you saw it with the eagles how important it was for them and how excited it got their team um you know in, in that playoff run when uh meek mills was there but for us right i felt like it started first with philly brown um in 2013 because yep. you know obviously he, he's from that area and i've never met an individual who was a bigger meek mills fan ever in my <laughs> life but <laughs> because he was one of the you know biggest personalities loudest guys you know a great dude um he was always playing music right so it, it started from there and then we really just adopted it and fell in love with <laughs> it and really kind of wrapped it around you know our own way to, to to take the field right that that competitive or that combative um uh, get those combative juices flowing. Really, that's what it allowed us to do. Well,
0: yeah, and I mean, you bring it full circle too now. And there's some <laughs> dreams in this motherfucker. Oh, yeah. There's some nightmares <laughs> yeah. in this totally. story too. It so applies. It was a so well. perfect song.
2: We'll we'll get to the nightmares, but uh, yeah. Wh- when do you guys do you guys play this together as a team, or is it basically you're all on your own with headphones? The reason I say that is because I've seen some of the post game celebrations after the big 10 championship and there's some music and some dancing going on how does does the team play this together collectively or is it individually
1: oh yeah we had somebody in our video staff that brings one of those little like party you know soft kind of touch speakers that you plug in it's got like the most music and noise in the world somebody just comes in there with an aux cord and then whoever is probably one of the seniors has our list Mm -hmm. or at least knows what we play plugs in and you know, lets it run. So if you want your own solace, you know, listen to your jazz or getting your own kind of vibe or whatever, yeah. right? I mean, you have to have your headphones on. But, um, you know, then again, you can't have any headphones when you're out in pregame, right? Because that's a Coach Meyer mm-hmm. rule. So, yeah. You, know, yeah, you start getting into, uh, you know, why we all know the word so so uh, religiously. And it's because, you know,
0: that's what we
1: listen to. That's how we got ready. Well,
0: let's talk about this real quick. You, you, we couldn't have headphones down the <laughs> yeah. field level. We could listen to them in the locker room. You, I mean, have you heard some of these pregame playlists in the stadiums? It's like the, the oh, most yeah. corny uh, pop yeah. music, <laughs> freaking Miley sometimes. Cyrus and Katy Perry. Like, <laughs> yeah. gosh, it's, it was the worst. It's terrible. And sometimes, I mean, I'm not gonna say Iowa
1: did this, but you know, you get an Iowa of the world who's playing like psych games or trying to play like some kind of psychology trick, and like they're playing like soft music while we're warming up, or you know, in Iowa they got the pink locker room trying to you know influence the guys going out there. So. You no, know, you get what you get, but Coach Meyer' rule we had to abide by. it. Yeah. Same as earrings, nobody could do that either.
2: As the pregame clock winds down and you're ready to leave the locker room, uh, and it's the start of the season, you know I've read a lot about Urban's Urban speeches, and they're really about hey, look, it's four to six a to b. Does anything you know as you start the season in 2014, anything memorable about memorable about what he says to you guys before you go out on the field, or is it exactly that four to six a to b, do your job?
1: Yeah, for for a lot of Reasons, Coach Meyer never really strayed too far away from that message, yeah. right? Um, you know, he he put more emphasis, more emotion behind it, you know, with specific stories, but he did that for a reason, right? We had so much adversity, so much was changing in terms of who was going to lead our offense mm-hmm. in terms of um, the scheme that the defense had to play going into week one. So it was just, listen, yeah. we've outlined what we have to do. You came to Ohio state for a freaking reason, right? So just go out there and play within yourself Right. You're going to make mistakes. It's OK. It's it's you know, he didn't say this. Yeah. Right. But ultimately, <laughs> looking backwards and reflecting, he would say it's OK to make a few mistakes so long as we're flying
0: around. It's, sure. it's yes. the first
1: game that's going to happen.
0: So um,
1: that was pretty much his message,
0: really. OK, well, and I think that part of Urban's, um, especially in, in a game like this, you know, in a in in out of conference game where you're supposed to beat the opponent you're going against. I think he purposefully did not do too much because he wanted to see what the team was made of, especially in an early game. like he wanted to see if this was a team that he was gonna have to to get excited to go out there and play a football game right. or if it was a team that was gonna be able to weather the ups and downs without him getting on us entirely too mm-hmm. much and uh you know his unique circumstances too. so i I truly do think he was trying to figure out what is the what is the makeup of this team gonna be like? in terms of how they head out into a game. And so you can't go into the first one, guns blazing, because you never really find that out.
2: And after the game, I'll give you his quote on, on his assessment of the team. But I'll tell you, as you start the game, both teams have a possession. They punt on their initial possessions before you guys strike first with a 46-yard field goal by true freshman Sean Nuremberger. Navy gets the ball back, and they embark on a 75-yard drive that goes into the second quarter. But as we end the first quarter, it's 3 nothing Ohio State. We continue with the Navy 75-yard drive in the second quarter. And on the third play, Navy is forced with a fourth and goal from the one-yard line. They decide to go for it. They score and take a 7-3 lead. But I want to take this opportunity and talk about fourth and ones. Joshua, Ohio State's defense is going to face their fair share of fourth and ones in 2014. Typically, what is the defense saying to each other prior to this situation do you have like a spiritual leader or whatever who says something? What are you guys saying if you can huddle or as you're getting lined up? What are you saying to each other? Yeah, if we
0: can huddle, it's definitely more of a pep talk type situation. You know, there's going to be a guy in the huddle who's, hey, we got to get this stop. You know, everything you got, all that kind of stuff. And and typically on the field, there will be somebody because there's somebody loud on the field who's yelling that. <laughs> oh, out, but Joel but, Hale's <laughs> of the world. I swear to God, Joel <laughs> Hale will be... The God one love him. <laughs> in, in his stance, facing the offense, trying to tell us all, like, we can't even really hear him because, like, yeah. he's... Anyway, um, but there's going to be a guy doing that. The, the thing about fourth and ones and fourth down plays in general is their high tendency plays teams have their tendencies of what they like to do some teams are you know let's a gap run let's c gap run if there's an offensive lineman that they feel like is really good they typically will run to that side if they feel like their quarterback is their best playmaker they're going to keep the ball in the quarterback's hands all kinds of different things and so we call defense based off of the tendency and then there's typically somebody in the huddle me or middle linebacker or somebody who has to know what the hell's going on on defense who's like hey you know watch the A gap run hey you know watch the jet sweep hey watch the quarterback run and I think that's probably the most important thing too is if you can get a beat on what's coming you'll have a better chance of stopping it
2: and one of your teammates and fellow captain speaks highly of the defense that brought you the win that day let's go to this week's captain's perspective with Curtis Grant.
0: We know that defense wins championship. Offense can score points, but if you can't stop the other team from scoring, we're gonna have a problem. So at that time, as a defense, we wanted to step our game up to make it a little bit easier on JT, knowing that, you know, he was a rookie quarterback, you know, getting getting ready to get his get his shot, but he was a competitor. That's what made JT good. He was a competitor and he didn't care what was going on. He was gonna find a way to win. And that's what I liked about JT. And,
2: shit, he did that. Uh, He proved that. And us as a defense, we proved that, shoot, we could play with anybody. Well, back to the action. And we trade a couple of three-and-out punts before OSU embarks on a long play, 67-yard drive before JT throws his first interception of the season. Navy gets the ball back, promptly punts, and you guys settle for a field goal. And we're already at halftime. Navy's leading 7-6. to What is your typical halftime run through? I mean, you get in the locker room, do you meet with the unit leaders first? Does the Coach Meyer, does Coach Meyer say something or how does halftime scheduling work when you get in?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're first of all, we're, we're getting in and we got the whole like oranges and Gatorade pouches and yeah. all that other jazz. So we're getting hydrated up step one. Um, we coaches are, are having a little conference while we're doing all that. Exactly. So they can get their plan together. Exactly. So that's, that's kind of the the deal, right? There's a little bit of a split, right? The, the guys go hydrate, they get some, whatever they need, go see the trainers and the coaches will go build that plan, right? Yeah. A- apply those adjustments, at least with, you know, amongst their groups and then come out and give it to us. And it first starts with, you know, your unit coaches and then that builds into offense and then team before you guys go back out. So. Again, it's really structured for a reason, right? right? We don't want too many empty thoughts, right? Sitting on your butt, just waiting and not really thinking. You're working the mind the entire time. And that's really when we kind of, you know, everybody says, oh, well, you know, football is a game of adjustments. Well, it's, it's because we get so much work done in that time, really. Yeah. Um,
0: did you um? Did you go with your position group first and then meet as an offensive yeah, unit? Yeah, that's what we did. Mm-hmm. Oh, so right. we we actually, I'm
1: sorry, I think I said that backwards. We we might have done what you guys did. I think that's so. what I was
0: getting ready to say because we did. We went as a defense first, just did the general install, mm-hmm. and then we broke off into groups. But I could see how it would work either way. Yeah. because you know, like. First off, if I if I was an offensive coordinator or quarterback coach, like I would definitely want to talk to the quarterbacks on their own first yeah. before getting together and confusing everybody. You <laughs> well, know, no, I, I get, mean I, you're 100 right because I remember Coach Herman's ass,
1: bro. Okay, get in here, guys. You know, <laughs> sitting in there in front of his little uh, those little uh, the overhead projector. overhead projectors with the little uh, screen sheet that you write bro, on or whatever. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so Luke Fickle used to kill me with that shit because he'd be writing on the overhead little like the the little plastic thing. Yeah, and then he would like write something wrong so he'd lick his (laughs) finger smudge it there'd be a big smudge on the deal couldn't get it off and then say F it and just keep writing it was so funny because it was like it was on point every single week. We'd just be laughing
1: about it after the game. Yeah. The coaches would always come in so just hot, yeah. sporadic. Coach Hammond would have his, were, his, his <laughs> arms all up by his armpits <laughs> as he's right. Okay, guys, here we go. Come on. You know, that is, it is so
0: funny. There was one week where Luke didn't even write on the overhead projector sheet. He wrote directly on the overhead. <laughs> And then he was mad when he couldn't slide it up. He was telling the GA to slide it up. And I'm like, coach, it won't slide because you wrote on the overhead.
2: I bet, you, I bet you somebody's ass got busted for that. I'll tell you. Yeah, what. right. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, or Fernando. Yeah. One of the two. Yeah. Yeah, I swear. But, you know, in his book, Urban says at halftime, nobody's playing the blame game saying, quote, Nobody was dishing blame or playing the victim. The whole, the sole focus of everyone in that locker room was finding solutions. End quote. Is is that the gist of of it? You know, it's basically we've got to find out what we got to do, adjust and get out there. Right. Hundred percent, okay. right? Yeah. Like
1: obviously, those first two quarters are going to be the the your opponent's opportunity to throw some weird things at you, yeah. things that you haven't prepared for, or just that you haven't seen. You then have to process that in you know an environment where the bullets aren't flying. Yeah, with coaches who are also looking at it, and then you attack yeah. it better in the second half.
0: Yeah, counterproductive to point fingers yeah. to that's that yeah. literally solves zero things. So it was it was a very solution based focus and not a problem based focus. If that yeah. makes sense. Um, And that's how we kind of made the adjustments.
2: Well, let's get back on the field. Whatever adjustments were made or whatever was set at halftime works. Um, Navy gets the ball. And after four offensive plays, Darren Lee recovers a fumble, runs it back 61 yards for a TD and OSU is up again, 13 to seven. Navy gets the ball back scores on a one yard TD run. And once again, they've got the lead 14 to 13. And on the next offensive series, we've got some offensive growing pains as the Buckeyes go for it on a fourth and one, and are stopped. Turnover on downs. But it's what happens next with the defense that your coach credits for the victory, telling 11 Warriors, quote, we came right back and we held them to five yards. That was the difference in the game, end quote. So the defense forces Navy to punt, and on your first play, boom, JT Barrett to Devin Smith for 80 yards, and it's a touchdown, Buckeyes leading 20 to 14. Evan, I want to talk about Devin Smith for a quick second. Um, Mm -hmm. Throughout his career, again, just from a fan's perspective, he seemed really quiet to me, but the guy caught some big passes and fans need look no further than a couple weeks down the road against Michigan State. We know he's from what they call the cradle of football Massillon high school Maslin high school yeah. that's right
1: i have a I have a minor in all things Massillon because of that
2: <laughs> well, maybe that's what we don't know about um and <laughs> yeah. supposedly he's one of the fastest guys on the team uh, yeah. running a four devin point four two forty what do fans not know about devin Smith again I thought he was quiet what was what what, what, what do we need to know about devin Smith
1: man well that he's Another, uh, we, we said Philly Brown was one of the biggest personalities on the team. Devin might take the cake as the biggest personality, right? So, like, I feel like the receiver room is always full of just, like, jokesters and dudes poking fun at each other the whole nine yards. Devin was, you know, he, he was no short. He had all kind of different na- or, uh, uh he could mimic a whole bunch of people, right? Yeah, so he would do like
0: these impersonations. <laughs> he'd be impersonating like Coach
1: Mick and the in the coaches or whatever, Coach Meyer, and he was doing and saying uh, things.
0: And we Stan Jefferson, Stan
1: Jefferson. Oh my goodness! Right, so somebody to help us out, uh, just you know, all around, but I, you know, obviously athletically too. But anyways, he was always just cracking jokes yeah. on folks, and nothing, you know, that was too hard. But you know, internally, we would just die yeah. from these. But you know, on the field, right? Like he was a baller. Think back to like when we beat Russell Wilson and them when we were supposed to be the worst team in the world, right? Like Devin had the, the, the game winning touchdown there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had a huge playmaking ability and kind of continued it all throughout his career at high state, which was pretty cool to watch.
2: You know, just speaking of that real quickly, speaking of 40 times, in both of your opinions, who do you think the fastest player was on that team? And I know some people will say wide out, Some people say defensive backs. If you guys had to educate the audience, who do you think the fastest player on the team was?
1: i know the answer to this oh uh, is it you and it, it was it was the 2013 teams that's when we did the whole flying 20s the whole nine yards so you judge the the players and you know i i see the conversations coming already right but anyways you know you you judge a player's speed by their flying 20 not the first 20 but the second one so once you're moving right like how fast you know how how quickly can you get to that next point and myself and Ryan Shazier had the fastest flying 20 time when we recorded them in 2013. Oh, there
2: we go. So hey.
1: if we had to be exact, I would say <laughs> me. You're talking to the fastest. Oh, wow. But uh, I mean, we had dudes that could float across the board. And again, we didn't do that in 14. So <laughs> yeah. who knows? But, you know, I got a late claim where I can. Gosh, darn it. My, my name was up on that little flying 20 thing for a while. We- it's what we call a self-suck. <laughs> hey, you know what? Sometimes you gotta do it. You know, you gotta pump your own tires when they when they're when they're looking a little when they're looking a little flat. Hey, hey, next
2: recording, it's not the uh, tax layer bowl ring. I want the WWE championship <laughs> belt that you got for that. You know, they give you things <laughs> wear that. Thing hey, well
0: we we definitely got some kind of like,
1: you know, off season shirt or Yeah, I think it like, was a plaque. Like hat like, or something like We were yeah, always doing was, something he, weird. They like used that. to
0: give out for um I know exactly what board you're talking about yeah. that was right in that hallway. Right across from the weight room and I, I'm pretty sure like whoever the champion was used to get like you know they would go to Staples and get those little like certificates oh, yeah. or whatever <laughs> um, because I was up there too yeah for you broad took pride jump. in this board now this board had I took a lot pride, of a lot I of took pride, pride in, in it yeah. and I got I got a couple of iron buckeye awards as well okay check you out but yeah I, I was out. up there for uh standing broad jump
2: had at one point I think like the second best on. The oh team. yeah you were jumping out the gym I remember Man, that that's that track background Um, (laughs) so back to the game, we enter the fourth quarter and Ohio state's leading 20 to 14, but early in the quarter Navy closes with within three with a 32 yard field goal and it's close 20 to 17, but then it's all Buckeyes with two long drives, one for 80 yards and another for 70 as Zeke has got a 10 yard touchdown run and Michael Thomas and JT connect for a nine yard touchdown. And you guys have your first win of the season, 34 to 17. So second, the stats for JT and Zeke for the first two games are going to be a far cry from what they're going to do during the season. JT's 15 for 22, 226 yards, two TDs, and he rushes for 50. But for the season, he's going to pass for 2,800 yards, 34 passing TDs, 938 yards rushing, 11 touchdowns. And it should be noted that he sets the Big Ten record with 45 touchdowns overall. Zeke Elliott, and I'm big into statistics here today. On the season, he's going to rush for 1,878 yards, but against Navy, he's only going to run for 2% of his season total with 44 yards. He's going to have zero catches, and on the season, he's going to have 28 catches overall. Now, to be fair, he is recovering from a wrist injury sustained in camp where he had surgery. Mm. <coughs> uh, somebody here <coughs> um, <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> but, geez, 2% of his overall rushing yards. And defensively, Tyvis Powell leads the way with 13 tackles. And Joshua, you have nine. So let's jump to postgame. How does it work? Uh simple as the coach talks to you, gives you a couple words of wisdom, and you guys are getting dressed and you're out of there. It seems pretty simple, but um, you know, how does how does the postgame work when you get in the locker room?
1: Yeah, well, this one was unique, obviously, because we had to sing there their, oh, yeah, their right. alma monitor. But we 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 get in and you know it's you know, we, we we get loved up a little bit. Coach goes up there and, you know, st- we start each offense or special teams or um, defense, we get to kind of name like who gets the ball of the game or the player of the game. Um, defense, we always had our kind of little, you know, knick-knack that was our week's theme. So I'm sure we got something as it relates to that. But it was really the coach's time to just showcase good mm-hmm. performances and then, you know, how we get dressed. And it was as fast as you get out of the locker room, okay. really.
2: Let's switch our attention to preparing for a nationally televised game against Virginia Tech. And I'm going to start with practice, practice itself. Does the team have any changes in practice coming off of a game against the military academy? Um, And you're switching back to a more traditional opponent. Is there what's the what's the change in practice that week?
1: Yeah, you know, well, I mean, for you guys, you guys had pretty much a world of a difference,
0: because <laughs> totally you, different because you were going back to, to to applying the thing that you had worked on all off season. So I'm, totally different. There was a freaking football <laughs> in the air during practice for <laughs> Virginia Tech. We hadn't seen one of those in a little minute. Yeah. Um. So for us, the the adjustment was twofold. It was the style of offense that we were getting ready to play, but it was also the our actual our actual scheme on defense that we were going to implement. So, uh, like I said, triple option before we were playing Navy. So it's very difficult, uh, very unique offense to go up against very different body type that we were going up against as well with those guys from, uh, Naval Academy. And, And so just things were different. We, we matched body types differently on our defense. And then you flip now to playing a spread style offense. Okay. Get that off the board. Our defense had to go back to, what we wanted to be defensively, which was, you know, a 4-3 defense, cover four shell in the back end. And that was something that was new for 2014. And that was something that we, we had to get right on going into Virginia Tech. And I'll say this before we, because we, everybody who's listening to this already knows the outcome uh, of the game. Jeez. Um, we, we didn't necessarily know. How far behind we were going to be? Yeah, I don't think it, it struck us at the time that, that we were preparing. Yeah, a million like, percent. That, and that was <laughs> we felt confident that, that we were going to be all right. right, and then as this thing unfolds, we're going to realize not so much.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, it was a sliver of that confidence that bit us in the ass twice at the end of the 2013 yeah. season, right? So it was yeah. a quick glimpse to the reason why we didn't end it like we
2: wanted to. Well, Um, and I want to paraphrase Coach Meyer. I don't have it written down, but I just remember him talking about the difference between Virginia Tech and Navy. And he's like, do you think Joey Bosa came here to play against the Naval Academy where they're going to be jumping at his ankles as opposed to he wants to get out there and rush the quarterback? Yeah, so that's very true. Well, trust
1: me, he he also didn't come here to just play Virginia Tech. He came here to go play Bama, too. So, you know, you you got that whole deal. Uh, But offensively, man, I mean, I think kind of like I was talking about, right? As expected, offensively, we didn't really put a complex system going into the Navy game. We were going to run our base stuff because quite frankly, we have a new quarterback. Yeah. Uh we 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 got a whole bunch of question marks that we have to kind of find out. So, going into the next week, there was a lot more put in. Not a lot more like we, you know, uh, to say that like we weren't prepared with our plays going in. Yeah. Uh but I would just say that the the playbook started to expand in terms of what we would call in certain situations. Yeah. So, um, we started to kind of get to more of that stuff that we were working on in the offseason.
2: Well, speaking of practice, the game is going to be televised on ESPN, and announcers Todd Blackledge and Brad Nestler mentioned that during the week, they came to practice and one or both were wearing blue shirts. <laughs> well, legend has it has that Urban had them take them off, and and I hope they weren't sitting there. <laughs> Urban had them take them <laughs>
1: off. Shit. We, there was about a riot on the football field. That's what happened. I hope yeah.
2: they weren't sitting there shirtless. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Nobody, we hooked them up, don't we? Nobody wants we're. to see don't that. Uh, what's yeah, funny ew. is this follows up on a 2013 story reported by Bleacher Report where NFL scouts who came to watch practice were made to change their blue shirts. Now, OSU gives them a shirt to wear, but the scouts didn't care much for the shout out. One scout for an NFC team who was there, but not directly involved, acknowledged that the incident was, quote, embarrassing. And said another longtime scout, it's just not something that needed to happen. It could have been handled much better. And if that blue shirt rule is going to be enforced, they can let us know. The article also goes on to say that Ohio State players were, quote, (laughs) yelling to the scouts that blue was not welcome. Now, (laughs) off air, you guys have said the intent here is really not to embarrass anybody. What, What was the intent of Urban's no blue rule? Jeez, just how he was, (laughs) you know, it's it's, it. it, Here's a guy who
0: after he was done coaching at Ohio State, he would not say the word Michigan on any of the media spots he was doing for Fox. Mm -hmm. And that was a team that they had to cover closely. He would say the Wolverines. He would never say Michigan. Michigan like that's what he was. He took it that far. All the time, and <laughs> yeah. it caused us to probably take it a little bit too far, oh, too. No doubt about it.
1: But I mean, <laughs> think about it. Like every big time coach has come into Ohio State ever, Coach Coach Tressel, right? Like there is one game that you are supposed to win that you're supposed to think about 365 days of the year, yeah. right? So you know, it- iterating off of that into you know a multiple personality scenario, Coach Meyer, and then a whole bunch of guys who would feed off of him in that you know kind of situation. You know, that's what you get. But, you know, ultimately it it was the underlying thing of, hey, you know, we are very focused on who we hate yeah. here. Um, you know, we we did go to Ohio State. And for that reason. Right. Like, take your shit off.
0: Well, <laughs> well, now Urban's going to have to. I mean, he, he's going to be wearing a black pullover yeah. or white pullover all the time in Jacksonville because, you know. He's well, got some colors shit he, down there too. He he
1: might try to make a little case for some teal. teal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm I'm down to rock a Jacksonville Jaguars yeah. jersey. If I'm yeah. just, I'm just going to put it on the record, you know what I'm saying? But Me
0: too. I'm I look, I think yeah. it's fantastic. I'm just curious how he's going yeah. yeah. <laughs> to
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll see. You know, they, they, somewhere on his boat probably.
2: They, they said <laughs> I just want to go back to they said that, you know, high state players were quote yelling to the scouts that blue is not welcome. If you guys had to guess if there was a position group, who was it that was probably doing the yelling at the scouts? Uh,
0: it was it was two of them. It was deep. two. It was the offensive line. It was oh line yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. Fair. The slobs definitely got involved with in that because yeah,
0: you know, they're slobs.
1: <laughs> is what it is. Yeah.
2: Um. Well, listen. I think people are going to notice when they tune in is LeBron James on the sidelines, and this wasn't a random appearance. As earlier in the week, the student newspaper, the Lantern. Yeah, I'm going into the archives. I'm talking about Check the Lantern reports that he's going to be in attendance, and according to Athletic Director Gene Smith, he's going to address the team. It should be noted that this isn't the first time that LeBron has interacted with the team. As the same periodical, The Lantern, reports that he also spoke with you prior to the 2013 Wisconsin game. Fellas, I know it's a long time ago, but given his stature in the athletics world, this seems like a pretty cool thing when such an iconic sports figure addresses a team any Mm. memories of LeBron talking to you either before this game or 2013 against Wisconsin
1: I mean I think the the strongest memory for me is that just the love and passion for Ohio State football transcends so many different boundaries Mm. and and LeBron coming and speaking to us about what to do to get motivated to go beat the hell out of Wisconsin or or vice versa for Virginia Tech or other teams down the road. Like as an athlete, these are people that you look up to, right? I mean like, heck, I'm a golfer. That'd be like Tiger Woods walking in the room and telling me how to hit a chip sure. shot or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's, it's, 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 it's of the same equivalence. So if you're a recruit, if you're wondering how much effort you want to put into your inside nine or, or, or or how much effort you want to put as a, as covering a gunner, right? Like you can just look at greatness right there and hear from him. now, the specific words of what he said, I I couldn't pick that apart, but you know, you look at him like, Holy cow, you're huge. And TV makes you not look that huge. Yeah. Uh,
0: but yeah. I don't know. It's, it was, it was just cool. So I'll, I'll jump in on this and say, one of the cool things for me is that, um, first off, I'll, I'll throw this out there. I don't get starstruck over meeting famous people anymore because, you know, like, not trying to flex, but I've met my fair share of famous people just from what we get to do, whether it's being an athlete or being in the media now. Um, LeBron is that guy, though. Like, he's the one where I would struggle to formulate a sentence if I got to spend some time with him. And what was really cool for me is the fact that he was there to be a fan of us instead of us being fans of him at the time. And just kind of that paradigm shift was super awesome. Um, and he was into it too. Like he's a fan right. of the Buckeyes. Yeah. Big time. And you, I mean, you even see it today when like, you know, our guys are playing in the college football playoff. He's adding the guys as they're making plays on the field. Like I think it's the coolest thing ever. When mm-hmm.
2: does he speak to the team though? I mean, he doesn't speak to you right before you guys go out. Right. Is it the night before? Or is it that when does he no, speak? it's like
1: So when we're at home, we have this, um, we actually, we obviously have our walk, but before we leave in, in the Fisher College business, there's like this little, um, atrium type of deal where that's where we'll do our last highlight video. Coach Meyer will say a couple of things. And that's the, the, the medium where he'll come in and say something before we take the, the, the field. It's nothing like, and right before we strap up the helmets about yeah. to go out, hit the chase sign or whatever it's it's yeah. not like
0: that it's it's before the team walk mm-hmm. oh totally cool. yeah but then he's around then afterwards sure. so it's still like oh yeah, dope. yeah i got to you know fist bump like, he around. follows <laughs> us in the skull session yeah. and so you know it's the loudest ovation we've heard and we're like oh yeah these people are amped up <laughs> yeah. no it's it's the fucking
2: superstar behind yeah. you right yeah now. right right totally before we carry on a quick word to potential advertisers we're looking to get your spot in our show glory days podcast can help you reach fans that want what you're selling and not just ohio state fans but college football fans
0: around the country
1: that's right and there's a variety of ways that you guys can advertise with us just ask and we'll help you find what you need
2: and look if you don't know what you want to do we can even help you create your own commercial if you'd like to become a glory days partner drop us a line at info at glorydays.media that's info at glorydays.media here's how you can find us on social media at Twitter, at Glory Days Pod. That's all one word, at Glory Days Pod. On Instagram, at Glory underscore Days underscore Pod. And on Facebook, at Glory Days Podcast. Let, so let's jump to the action on the field. And to set this game up, a couple of particulars to get us rolling. Number eight, Ohio State's an 11-point favorite over unranked Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech does come in at 1-0 after a victory over William & Mary while the Buckeyes come in 1-0 after a victory over the aforementioned Naval Academy. The kickoff is at 8 o'clock, and we do have an attendance record being set of 107,517. And Brad Nessler at the time says, Ohio Stadium is a city unto itself. The game is on ESPN, and diehards of this team are well aware of how this game is going to play itself out. And we won't get into too much of the particulars, but before we do, I want to ask two questions. First, looking back at this game, as we tape this in 2021, besides the outcome, what stands out the most about this particular game?
1: An inability to respond to adversity, right? We had folks really who were athletic enough, were smart enough, were prepared enough, Mm -hmm. but mentally weren't ready to respond when the bullets were flying how they were. Right, like on offense, they blitzed the hell out of us, and we didn't know how to answer. You know, as receivers, we had MAs at the worst time. As tight ends or um, you know, offensive line group, like we weren't 100% in protection like we needed to be. JT didn't feel as comfortable as he needed to be. And now, mind you, this is still that same offense that was trying to find its identity in Navy. That same offense that just expanded the playbook a little bit, and that's of no fault of the coaches at all because it was our job to execute, but there was just so much of that holy cow what the hell is going on and how do we stop it yeah. cuz what we're doing isn't working right.
2: how about you joshua
0: um if if i had to consider something it would go along those same lines is the fact that we lost how badly we did and it it's a lot of it is our inability to respond it was even plays on defense we you know we let up big plays but it was, it was something like um uh i had forced a fumble and i think that they they either said it wasn't a fumble or they said that the other team recovered it when we actually did something stupid like that and i think that damaged us because we were kind of fragile and as i look back at that game i it would have been different if we would have lost 35 to 34 but to get beaten so thoroughly by a team that was inferior to us i i think that was shocking mm-hmm.
2: Well, here we go. The game starts off with both teams trading possessions before Virginia Tech draws first blood with a lengthy drive and a touchdown, and it's 7-0 visitors. What's interesting, however, is that when Virginia Tech kicks off, Ezekiel Elliott is returning kickoffs. And to me, that's a little old school. I could be wrong, but that's your starting running back returning kickoffs. But I'm sure there's a specific reason or mentality. Is this a case of best athletes, no matter what their position, playing on special teams? Yes. Okay. And Zeke yeah, also
1: was one of the fastest dudes on the team, too. So it was a perfect mix. Okay.
2: Wasn't Travis Etienne returning
0: kicks for Clemson? Yeah, was, was, oh yeah. No, he definitely was. Yeah. He definitely was. Because we were I'm pretty sure I was at BTN and we were sitting around watching that game. And uh, one of the the studio hosts was asking the analysts, like, why would you put your starting running back back there? Isn't that a risk? And that was literally the answer. What what Evan said is, if that's your best yeah. guy, you're gonna put him back there if you right. feel like you got a shot to right. return that's it, your
2: best chance to win. Uh, OSU counters with a drive of your own, capped by a two yard TD run by JT Barrowden, where it's seven seven in the first quarter. But Virginia Tech has a long drive to end the quarter with a TD and headed into the second quarter, it's fourteen seven away team. In this quarter, we don't get any scoring from the Buckeyes, but there are two missed field goals. And here's an interesting fact, according to OhioStateBuckeyes.com, kicker Sean Nuremberger holds 17 kicking records, 13 Ohio State records, and four Big Ten conference records. But he has two missed field goals here. We know that kickers are your teammates, but how much interaction did they have with the team during the week in practice? Were they off to the side kicking the whole time? I mean, I got to think if I'm not spending time in the trenches with my teammates at practice, if I miss a key field goal or an extra point, I'm a little bit on an island.
0: We don't see them like a ton during practice. They'll stand in during seven on seven holding bags, trying to distract the quarterback and stuff like that. Um, but I think our team actually did a really good job of incorporating those guys into, um, you know, like just everything else that we did as a team, like the, the specialists would work out with the rest of the team, the specialists, you know, outside of meetings, like they would hang out with us in the locker room and everything else. Um, now, to say that you don't get pissed sure. off at those guys because oh, you feel yeah. like they've only got one job. Um, but Sean was young, too. Yeah. And it's a lot on your plate. It's a stressful position to play, and especially as a younger player, like bad things are bound to happen. Yeah, So totally.
2: Well, Virginia Tech mounts a long drive at the end of the first half, scoring on an 11-yard TD pass, and it's a pretty uncomfortable 21-7 lead for Virginia Tech going into the locker room. And in her on-field interview, Holly Rowe of ESPN asks Urban, any changes with your kicking situation? He's missed two field goals. And Urban replies, no, he's going to be fine. So down 21-7, you've got some turnovers. You're one for six on third down and a really different type of defense being thrown at you. Any recollection of what the coaches were saying at halftime? Because you're making adjustments, right? You're going to have to, the first thing you yeah, do. Yeah, I mean,
1: again, right? We we, we, we walked through the, um, the kind of framework yep. of it. Obviously, coaches and players split. Coach Herman comes running out with his you know, arms right next to his armpits, kind of like he always does and bounces in. <laughs> but, you know, getting back to the severity um of the situation right like we had so much to i don't don't even want to say it was so much to try to stop it's just we weren't figuring out how to pick up enough people in protection we weren't figuring out how to get the ball out of jt's hands quick enough we weren't figuring out how to run the routes at the right depth so our timing was right um but this like wave of just negative things because it wasn't just receivers it wasn't just quarterback it wasn't just the play it wasn't just any of this it was all of us making mistakes at the worst times that we could be making them right we weren't doing our job following that structure and that's kind of what happened and how that um, halftime went
2: back on the field some back and forth between the teams but the lone score is a 53 yard slant pass to michael thomas and it's 21 14 to end the third quarter As we head into the last quarter, it gets pretty interesting for a few minutes as Joey Bosa forces a turnover and Zeke Elliott runs 15 yards. And all of a sudden, it's a tie game at 21-all. And I think at this point, Buckeye fans are feeling some good momentum. But Virginia Tech responds with a long drive and a 10-yard TD pass to take a 28-21 lead. And next thing you know, the clock becomes an enemy. And a JT Barrett pass is intercepted for a touchdown, and I think everybody is stunned. The end of the game comes with a 35-21 Virginia Tech win. (sighs) Well, in a minute, we're going to jump to some post-game comments. But before we do that and before we gloss over some statistics, looking back these last few years later, why do you think Ohio State lost this game?
0: (laughs) It's not a simple answer. To, to why we lost this game. We, we had, and again, this is going to be the hindsight excuse, everything working against us, new quarterback that we're trying to fit into the game plan, new defensive system that we couldn't even run in week one, like, you know, guys that are trying to figure out what exactly this team is going to be. I think a coaching staff that was trying to figure out what their team looked like. You had schematically some things that you just weren't able to adjust to properly. And then for us defensively, it was nothing that we hadn't seen before, but you were reading the drive list, and it seemed like all four of the drives that they scored on were long yeah. drives. We could not get off the field. We couldn't get our mentality together, um, and so as I look back on it, you could point to any of those reasons as to why we lost. It was a team that was they we were lacking the cohesion we were lacking the development of an elite team at that
2: time. Well, well, I'm not even going to go through statistics because I think this game, the stats are more of an anomaly than they are a season-long reality. Um, We're going to switch to post-game, and we know that Urban doesn't function well after a loss, but I want to read you a quote for him. According to OhioStateBuckeyes.com, when he addresses the press after the game, he says, quote, we just got to get a lot better, and that starts tomorrow, but we had a great meeting as a team. So he said you guys had a great meeting as a team. Jeff Hireman tells ESPN.com, quote, Coach Meyer's message after the game is there's a lot to accomplish, but we have to accomplish it at 11-1. and You guys want to recall, I know you don't want to, but can you recall the scene in the locker room and what were you guys saying to each other?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was like a scenario where you could hear a pin drop. Nobody wanted to talk to each other because we didn't know how to beef or be there for yeah. one another in that moment, right? Like it's gutting, feeling like your heart's ripped out of your chest. And then like, you know, Coach Meyer's talking and he's, you know, in your head as, you know, you're perceiving the scenario, it's almost like he's muted because what just happened it was just so unfortunate. Yeah. So I, I think that that was really the tone and the vibe of the players that we got uh, or, or, or what we were feeling in Coach Meyer's standpoint. Like he wanted to make sure that he sent us off with the right tone, but – you know in his mind he's definitely thinking like we all were hell how do we do this now with this type of loss yeah. you know that team wasn't ranked 5 the team wasn't even number 10 um you know how do we get to the goals that we were just talking about 2 weeks ago in camp 3 weeks ago in camp as being right there in front of us even though Braxton just went down yeah. um, and
0: it's interesting that you mention in the locker room the the silence that was in there because the the shoe was definitely yeah. silent mm-hmm. as well. So we're we're walking off of the field essentially after that last interception till the end of the game. Then we walk off the field and it's nothing but silence. And so you're consumed with your own thoughts and your own emotions and it's very sobering because it's it's the exact opposite of everything that we experience after games. We have electricity typically, especially playing at home, and then you look at the, the complete opposite side of that after that loss, it's, it's deafening silence. And to a point, this is going to sound dramatic, it felt like a damn funeral. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, we're not going to get deafening silence from some of the fans when they get their Twitter muscles, I'll tell you that. but um, <laughs> it's just no Like we said yeah. a minute ago. It's one of those
1: ones where you just want to like yeah, be on another planet. Exactly. Right? Like my, my Twitter handle doesn't exist.
2: <laughs> Ultimately, this team is going to win the national title, but short-term, here's some quotes. Columbus Dispatch, according to Above the Line. All the brave talk about how how Ohio State would withstand the season-ending injury to Braxton Miller was just dead air. These Buckeyes are a rudderless ship on offense, and the defense isn't much better. Twitter, Clay Travis, our favorite. Big Ten is two hours away from the entire conference being eliminated from the playoff by September 6th. Kyle Tucker. No, Ohio State, you don't get to be in the college football playoff. Not if you win the rest of your games by a hundred. Note to Kyle Tucker's friends on Twitter, he's terrible at prognosticating. <laughs> but Sports <laughs> Illustrated's Andy Staples is my new favorite writer, as he says, quote, no team is eliminated from the playoff after one loss, and therefore no conference is eliminated by September 6th. Smart man. As we're going to say many times during this podcast, we're talking about 18 to 22-year-olds. With that right. said, win or loss, how much attention do you guys pay to what the media has to say about you or your team's performance after a game? For well, me, it
1: varies. I know just is a different personal scenario, but I mean, sometimes you you know, you know want to see it, whether it's reaffirming that thing you want to do differently or it was a touchdown you caught. So. It, it just depends, but you know, I know just got a little bit more personal or a different scenario, yeah, uh, story there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I listened to it. I I really wanted to be in tune to what people were saying. I'm one of those cats where, uh, you know, I I like to have a little bit of external motivation sure. of of proving the doubters wrong. Um, on a side note. Trey Clavis, or Trey Clavis, Clay <laughs> Travis, you can go to hell. I don't like him. Yeah. Um, this is not the, the first or the last time he had ever been yeah. wrong. But it's it's voices like that, though, um, that were the ones that really you want to dig in on. But as as a player reflecting, it's a fool's errand because he's the same guy after we beat Alabama who said, if you played that game over again, Alabama would yeah. win it. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, like, sometimes you get too consumed by it and you have to leave it alone. But there were a lot of times where I would sit there and I'd be like, all right, I'm going to remember this. You know, just want to prove somebody wrong.
2: Listen, if some players don't read that kind of stuff on a weekly basis, I don't blame them, but the silver lining of this game appears to be how it affected you guys as a team. And I say that because later on in the season during the national championship week, Darren Lee tells 11 warriors, quote, the loss of Virginia tech brought us closer looking back did you guys become closer after that loss?
1: Y- yeah. There's no doubt because, I mean, we didn't have any other option. Right? Like, we we literally had no other option but to play for one another. Like, a, a, as seniors, right? Like, hell, we just lost. Who knows what's going to happen? But you know what? We still have a reputation. Yeah. Right? So, like, I still want to see Jeff go out the right way, and Jeff still wants to see Joel go out the right way and on down through all of these other guys, and we want to still pass on lessons to the next yeah. group. So you know, that that's really what it just came down to of us, like trying to just finding our own little planet where we could focus on the things that we needed to, to get better. We could somewhat forget what happened there, watch the film, delete it. It never happened and then go forward. Um, and really just kind of build better from that planet. And that's kind of what we try to do.
2: So tell me after the game, I know, Joshua, you were, you were nursing an injury. What did you guys do after the game? Because Evan, I think you said some Friends stop by your apartment afterward. <laughs> oh
1: lord, yeah, no. So again, I, I, so I'll tell this story, right? So again, this 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 starts from one of the most upset, emotional I've ever been after a game ever, and I think it it definitely took the cake. Um, so don't think that we, t- you know, screw it, you know, f the world type scenario. But uh, <laughs> but at the end of the day, like it was again, right? So what happened? We left the we left the field. Our house was. Um, you know a a nicer house near campus and um, you know we had some space so guys on the team always knew that they would it was a comfortable place to come over Uh, I'd say our door was unlocked more than locked (laughs) most of the time just because it was one of those type of environments so that as a as a preface we get to the house and you know I'm I'm talking to Jeff like hey we doing anything like no dude like this is like I mean, this is one of the worst I've ever felt. And before you know it, we're just like, all right, well, hell, we'll crack a beer. It, it is what it is. We're just sitting there talking, like trying to get away from the football game. And before you know it, like Nick Vanette and and Joel are over there, and we're, <laughs> and we're and we're and the we're usual shooting the suspects. right? You know, we're we're shooting the shit about like how special teams sucked or you know something else sucked. And before you know it, you look up and there's like 15, 20 dudes just all kind of kicking it at the house. And you know, I'm sure some of our other friends were there too. But you know, for us, it was. It was a way for us to be there for one another without having to be there, have fun with one another without having to think about what just happened. And, you know, again, I use that little little planet and little world analogy earlier. I think that the, the same applies here. right? Like it was our little space to where, you know, for me outside of I, I mean, I, I knew what they were saying. Right. So it was like, you know, hell, I want my phone to die. I just want to be around my dudes and just hang out like, you know, this is what life's about right? yeah. hanging out, and having good times. You know, we'll deal with the problems tomorrow type of scenario, and that's what we did. It was fucking blast. Yeah,
2: are you talking about the game, or are you just talking about other stuff?
1: I'm talking about the I'm talking about the night afterwards, oh, right? Yeah. So like, oh know, no, no, I'm th- saying,
2: th- th- yeah, what when, when at the party though? You guys aren't like sitting down and saying, "Hey, man, if we did this, and we did that," or are you guys just trying to get no, that? No, out no, of your
1: no, mind? no, 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 God, okay. no. like that's what I'm. Saying. It started with just like slightly almost reminiscing, right? Like, oh, this sucked. I did this. I could have done better that, and then it turned into just like you know playing maybe some of our favorite songs and chilling before, you know, you looked up and you're like, oh, shit, there's Devin or something, yeah. you know. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know. It's, again, talking about college kids and, and ways that we cope with in, in our world's serious emotional events. Uh, and for us, it was just to get together, yeah. um you know, and it was nonverbal. Nobody said text out at Evan and Jeff's. Uh, we just congregated and, you know, we're there for each other.
2: So, you know, Joshua, I think you went 50 and 4, Was that your, okay. Yes. So you didn't have too many losses uh, and neither did Evan, but like you had a tradition where I think you went out with your family for dinner after games, right? Yeah. Did you go out with, I mean, this is a night game, so you didn't go out with your family. You just kind of like went back to your apartment and kind of just read Twitter, right?
0: Yeah. And and it was, it was a unique kind of, you know, back to my apartment type situation because I, I can remember sitting my parents drove to the stadium and then they would drop me off at the facility so i could pick up my car and then drive back to yeah. my apartment and i can remember sitting in my parents car and just like rehashing some of the things that just went on you know my dad telling me hey you know you got to move past this one and there'll be a lot to adjust but you guys will be fine and you know mom's trying to be yeah. moms you know oh well you know i think you played well <laughs> i would now. never tell my mom to <laughs> shut up though so sorry Georgia I wouldn't do that um <laughs> But you know, kind of sat there, and, and I mean, for a little while, and did that, and then drove back and, and hopped yeah. on the old Twitter machine. And um, I was a person; if it was a, a like a big, big win, I couldn't yeah. go to sleep. If we lost, wasn't sleeping either. Basically, stayed up yeah. the whole night. It was a
2: tough. It was a tough weekend for the Big Ten. I remember there was a big narrative out there about how this is a crucial weekend for the Big Ten.
0: The Bucs will have to defend their honor, and the Big Ten's as well as the league's heavyweights, Michigan, Michigan State. And Ohio State all lose on the same Saturday. It It
2: was was a tough weekend overall, but well, you know, fellas, I think this is as good a place as any to put a pin in this episode. So as we've alluded to in our back and forth, the story of this season is just beginning to unfold. And we're only a mere two games into what will turn out to be a 15 game season. So college football fans, buckle your proverbial chin straps as this season is still in the first quarter.
1: The Glory Days Podcast,
2: Dreams and Nightmares, with Joshua Perry and Evan Spencer, hosted by Chris Caldwell. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Glory Days Podcast, Dreams and Nightmares. If you liked what you heard, you can follow us on Twitter at Glory Days Pod. That's all one word, at Glory Days Pod. On Instagram, at Glory underscore Days underscore Pod. And like us on Facebook at Glory Days Podcast. Next episode.
0: The fans would be shaking the fence. Like mm-hmm. you're walking through and you feel like you're a caged animal. And I mean, that only hyped me up. I'm like, hell yeah, yeah let's go. Say, like,
1: yeah, but, I was pushing people back on the side. Yeah, that that's, that's
2: what we were doing. That's really <laughs> what was going on. Evan, we Joshua, and the Buckeyes stuff. stormed through the first half of the season, pissed off after the loss to Virginia Tech, culminating in a Penn State game deep dive you won't want to miss. I'll see you next time.